If you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, let's look at verses 6, 7, and 8, and let's pray together. Lord, we, it's hard not to be affected by the truth of your word sung. So Lord, I pray as we navigate through these next few moments that your, your word would come alive in our hearts. Just as your Holy Spirit swept through in Acts chapter 2 and the hearts were quickened to receive your word, Lord, I pray that our hearts are open and receptive. And so Lord, we thank you for the joy that it is to come and to worship and to celebrate and to sing and to rejoice and to laugh and to be comforted and be convicted. Thank you that your spirit is alive and well. So Lord, I pray as we navigate these next very few moments that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway, that we would be guided by and comforted by and convicted by your word and your word alone. We're humbled, we're excited, we're thankful, and our hearts are growing ever more thankful. The more we learn and dig in, we recognize our deep need, but also your great covering on the cross. So we'll be with us now in these next few moments, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, and we're going to fall in line with what we've just heard sung and what we've sung about the entirety of our service this morning. And we're going to look at our scripture memory verse, but God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we're going to look at it because I believe it's so important for us not just to memorize Scripture, but for also these Scriptures to come alive in our hearts. Right? It's good for us to memorize and let these truths so deeply into our souls that we would live and adjust our lives accordingly to what we live and memorize. I mean, it's good for us as a faith family to memorize Scripture for a multitude of reasons. One, it, it's just good for us in the middle of our service to stop and to speak Scripture aloud. That's, that's a good practice for us to get into, that we would speak Scripture in our churches. There would be a time where you would hear the Scripture spoken by everyone around you. That, that's just a good practice. It's also good for us to memorize Scripture knowing that on any given Sunday, you are memorizing the Scripture in your Bible fellowship classes that during the week you're speaking it in your homes and your families, that you're memorizing it alongside your kids as you come to your Bible fellowship classes, you can recite this scripture together. There's something that unifies about studying and memorizing the same passage of scripture together. It's also good for us to memorize it so that we have a repertoire, a treasure chest of scripture to pull from when someone we know is going through a hardship or when we're going through a hardship that we've got a repertoire of Scripture that we can pull from at any moment to give to somebody, but also to take hold of when we need it. It was in seventh grade that my seventh grade science teacher was actually here this morning at 8.30. Uh, at seventh grade, I learned in science class a fact that you probably know too, but it lives in my head, and it will be in my head till the day that I die. Mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cells. Y'all got that? Y'all remember that? I don't know what it is about that simple fact, but I will go to my grave remembering the mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cells. That fact has done me no good my entire life. <laughs> no good. 
I'm not in biology. I'm not in science. I'm not in any way a doctor. But I know the only thing that I know is right now I got a bunch of cells that have a mitochondria that are doing something to produce energy as the powerhouse of the cells. In fact, in seventh grade, we baked a cake that had everything labeled, and I could point to the mitochondria, and I could tell you that that is the powerhouse of the cell. But it has done nothing for me, not a thing. I have not changed course of action. I have had lived in any way, shape, or form in light of that truth that will be with me, thanks to Mr. Jones, until the day that I die. The mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cells. And my prayer for us as we memorize Scripture is that it would not be something like, oh, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. I pray as we memorize Scripture, it's more like, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, when we're facing anxiety that we could pull from, do not be anxious, Mark. Mark, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, Mark, by prayer and supplication, Mark, with much thanksgiving, let my heart be pulled towards thanksgiving, knowing that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding would guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus, that I could give that as quickly as I have it. There's a far difference between the mitochondria as the powerhouse of the cell, a fact that has little to no effect on my life at all, to recognizing that these scriptures have the power to transform our lives. And we can just as easily go through a service and we can say, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Or we can recognize the depth by which that scripture has for us. We can recognize that these things that we're memorizing are not simple mental gymnastics to keep us sharp, but they have the power to transform our hearts and our lives and to transform others. So this is not a mental exercise by which we walk through the service and we say the scripture and we pat ourselves on the back and we sit down. No, these are scriptures that we memorize so that we can come alive in his transforming truth. And we are on the road. You see on your outline, you, you see that we are on the Romans road, that we are uh, systematically memorizing the Romans road together. And many months ago, we memorized Romans 6, 23 on your outline that would say the wages of the sin is death. So you can fill that in. And thank you for proving my point of your great joy and saying the scripture for the wages of sin is, for the wages of sin is, you're with me now. Y'all gave a standing ovation. You got pretty excited a minute ago, so we're saying scripture. So come on, be with me here. For the wages of sin is death. So we recognize that the wages of our sin is truly death. And there's power the more we recognize that the wage of our sin is truly not just inconsequential, but it is death. We move on the Romans road, and we recognize from Romans 3, 23 and 24 that we memorized last month, for all have sinned and fallen short. So you partner those two verses together that the wages of sin is death and for all have sinned and fallen short. We recognize that all of us in this room are in the same situation, that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, and the wage of our sin, the punishment, the reward for our sin is death. And as we continue down the Romans road, we get to Romans 5, 8 that says, while we were still sinners, Christ hide for us. So we, we walk down a pathway recognizing and preaching the gospel to ourselves of what these verses mean for us. 
in seminary, one professor gave us a challenge that we were to start a brand new year with our Bibles and a green highlighter. And he said, as you walk through the year, as you read your Bible, anytime you see a gospel verse, a verse that summarizes the gospel, get your green highlighter and just highlight that verse. And I cannot tell you how many times I've gone through my Bible on a rough day and just opened it up and looked for green verses and just looked and found green verses that would remind me, oh man, I was once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds and he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. There are days when you just have to open your copy of God's word and just look for the green. Look for the green to surround yourself and be reunited in. And here we are as a faith family memorizing those green gospel passages that would say, even though we've all sinned and fallen short, even though we have the wages of sin is death, we were still sinners. In Christ, he died for us. And so in the next few weeks, or excuse me, months, we'll continue on the Romans Road, and we'll have the Romans Road memorized that you could both have it for yourself and preach it to yourself, but also give it to others. So let's turn our attention now to Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, our passage for this morning, which Paul would write in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, for while we were still weak, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This morning, I want to look at two celebratory takeaways and how I envision this is, is I go to a ball game, uh, maybe a football team that you really enjoy. As you drive home from after your team winning, you turn on the radio and listen to the commentators for your team talk for what feels like hours, right? For a 90-minute game, they could talk for six hours about all that they saw in that game, right? You know. And if it's your team, you love listening, right? You can listen for hours for them to rehash every wonderful moment of your team's victory, Talk about the guys that did good stuff and the good plays that ended up working out well in your favor. And so this morning, we're going to look at two celebratory takeaways from this one passage. And just like a game that's been played and won by your favorite team, here we are this morning knowing that we have the victory. We're looking back and just exploring with great joy these two celebratory but simple takeaways. And the first is this. But God shows his love. The first thing that we see, and it's right from your text, is that God shows, or maybe your translation would say God demonstrates his love for us in this. God shows his love. Now, I'm not sure if you're a gift giver or a gift getter. Anybody a gift giver? You like giving gifts? Anybody on the other side, you like getting gifts? A lot of children raise their hands at the 8.30 service. A lot of gift getters in the crowd. But something happens the older you get maybe that you become more of a gift giver. When you have kids, you love giving gifts to your kids. Uh, I, I love that challenge and that task. I love thinking about what this person needs, what they enjoy, and then finding a gift that matches those things, right? Now, if somebody hates and detests sports... If you have somebody that hates sports with everything, just don't watch it, hate it, cancel ESPN on their TV, you would never go through the great expense and the great challenge of getting them NBA Finals tickets, right? It would be a terrible gift, right? They hate sports. They don't want to go to an NBA Finals game. 
And so you wouldn't go through such great challenge to do that for them if it would mean nothing for them. The same way if somebody hates the outdoors, you're not going to give them a tent and send them away to this nice campground in Yellowstone to spend the night outdoors if they hate the outdoors. It's a terrible gift. I like to think that the best gift I ever gave was to Brittany back when we were dating uh, when she was in pharmacy school. She had been studying for endless hours and going to bed very, very late at night and getting no sleep. And as a, as a good um, boyfriend or engaged, I can't remember what we were at the time, I, I decided because she was not sleeping well that I would get her an extremely nice pillow. It's the best pillow. It was one of the best gifts I've ever given my wife. And I thought about for hours, what would be a good gift? She's, she's not sleeping. She's staying up studying at all hours of the nights with her roommates. And, and so a, a pillow would so beautifully picture what I see that she needs. And, and it was in the best possible way. I wasn't saying that she's like grumpy and she needs better sleep. That's not what I was saying, all right? So let me just go ahead and clear the air here. It was a great gift, all right? No matter what you say, it was a great gift, all right? So pillow. I thought about for hours that at night when she would put her head on that pillow that I would remind her and tell her that she was prayed for and I prayed that she got a good night of sleep for all that was ahead of her in the days ahead. That that pillow was a reminder that she had a need and I thought about for hours, just thought through what would be the great need or gift that would fill that need in her life in that time. So I, at great expense, paid for a very nice pillow for her to lay her head on. Same way, as we look at these verses, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. As we look at, but God shows and he demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, this gift that God has given us is the greatest need in our hearts fulfilled. We've said it many ways before that if our greatest need as humans were for God to send to us a teacher who would explain to us all the mysteries of this earth or a scientist who would come and tell us all the great mysteries of the planets and the stratospheres, if our greatest need was for our physical ailments to be taken care of, God would have sent to us a doctor to come and heal our ailments. If our greatest need was for a philosopher to come down and explain all the different needs of philosophy, then God would have sent a philosopher, but... Our greatest need was a Savior who would wipe away our sins. And that's precisely what he has done. But God shows and he demonstrates his love for us. A tangible, a tangible expression of his love was founded in Jesus. At night before our kids go to bed, I usually get with Helen Ann and I say, Helen Ann, I, I love you. And she says, Daddy, I love you this much. And with her tiny little arm, she puts her arms out as far and as wide as she can. Daddy, I, lo I love you this much. And no matter how wide her arms get, my arms always get wider. Right? She can, she can stretch those things out almost till they're touching behind her. And I always say, but baby, my arms get bigger. I love you this big. And I just wrap her up saying, I love you this big. And my arms just keep on a growing. And as you look at the measure by which God loves us, it's not an arm's length. It's not a wall to wall. It's not just this big. As far and wide as we can make it is God's love. How vast, how deep, how wide is God's love for you in Christ? It's unmeasurable. It's unfathomable. God's love for us in Jesus. And, and at times we, we struggle reminding ourselves. And the enemy would come to say, surely there's no way God could love you and care for you to this extent. As I've done ministry in different ways and times in my life, I've, I've seen different people walking through different seasons of chemotherapy and hospice coming to their house and facing death in their life. And 
There's a gift that I, I find so interesting that people give, and it's usually a little olive wood cross that's carved, uh, olive wood that's carved into the shape of a cross. And they've carved these crosses in such a way that they fit so naturally and perfect in the hand of someone. Young or old, it just fits so beautifully and naturally. And I watch as my own mom struggle with uh, cancer as she was on hospice, just kind of lay around in bed and just kind of twiddle that little cross in her arms and in her hands and just hold on to it really tightly. I've watched in the hospital room as different patients will just sometimes just hold on to that cross and flip it over in their hands and just hold on to it so tightly. It's a reminder as we look at this and you look back in your text at Romans 5, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, that at times suffering comes our way, but it says suffering would produce in us hope and hope would not put us to shame because the Holy Spirit has opened the door for God's love to be poured into our hearts. The reason why as we face suffering, we can hold on tightly to the cross is because we recognize in the cross what Jesus has done for us, how he has endured the cross. He has endured our shame. 1 John 3.16 and John 3.16, by this, by this measure, by Jesus dying on the cross, we know and recognize what love is that he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that he gave his son. So as we walk through the mountaintops and the valleys of life, we can cling to and be reminded of what Jesus has done on the cross that can give us perseverance in the face of all sorts of hardness, knowing that his love is that wide. You would look at it, and it's the beauty of the the whole gospel, the, the trinity and theology to be found right here that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As you look at this and recognize that God sent his son, the fully divine, triune God, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, coming down to this earth. If that was not the case, then this verse would not make sense. If Jesus was not fully God, fully divine, this verse would not hold the weight, would not hold the power that it does. It would read more like, for God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, God sent somebody else. While we were still sinners, God just sent somebody else to die in our place. That sacrifice would not be atoning. That death on the cross would not hold victory. But knowing that we serve a triune God, Jesus, fully God, coming to this earth, being sent by God, his love for us is so deep that while we were still sinners, Christ, fully God, died in our place and took the full bore of our sin on the cross. And even more so, it says God shows in the present tense that God continues to show us, continues to demonstrate to us his love for us daily. He continues to point back to it and say, look at my love for you. Continue looking back at the cross. Don't Fix your gaze anywhere else but the cross. Keep looking at the cross. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and to often whisper these lies into our hearts that God could not, he would not, there is no more love for you, but continues to say, keep fixated on the cross. Keep clinging to, holding on to, keep nearing yourself nearer and nearer to the cross. And if that wasn't celebratory enough, point number two reminds us of the great celebration to be had. Number two, you can probably fill it in on your own, but while we were, and listen closely to this word, while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And let's make sure we understand and really revel in what this means for us. Many of you probably know very deeply the parable of the prodigal son, one of my favorite parables in all of Scripture. You see Jesus explaining Romans 5, 8 in some terms through the parable of the prodigal son. So beautifully does the parable of the prodigal son illustrate Romans 5, 8. For a moment, put yourself in the shoes of the parable of the prodigal son. If you're a father, if you're a grandfather, if you're a a mom or dad and you've got children, think for a moment, what would it be like for you one day to come into your living room and your son or your daughter come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I've been thinking. It would be be better if y'all were just, it would be better, I can't wait for y'all to die. It would be better if y'all were to go ahead and die. Can I go ahead and have the money that's due to me? How would that hit you? That, that conversation go over pretty well? Right? Your son, your beloved, mo- daughter or son, coming to you and say, Mom, Dad, it would be better if you were dead. Can I have your money? You, you, I mean, feel the weight of that for a moment. So, son or daughter coming, saying, here, I need your money. So the son, the prodigal son, takes the money and then leaves the household, flees the household, squanders every dollar that he was given, partying and living it up and living this big life of sin. And he finds himself in the pigsty, literally, broken and muddy and dirty and nasty. So think for a moment, you being the prodigal son, you've taken all of your father's inheritance, the the money that was due to you, you've taken all of it, you've run away, you've squandered every penny of it, and you find yourself muddy, broken, can you feel the shame and the guilt that you would feel in this moment? Where could you turn? Where could you go? What could you do? You've squandered all of your father's money. You've got nothing to show for it. You've lived in sin, and you've, you've shamed yourself. The guilt on your shoulders must be astoundingly high. And at some level, the Scripture says in the parable that the son came to his senses. He said, surely I'll go back to my father's house and I'll be better off being a servant in my father's house working every day of my life than being here in the pigsty. I want you to look again at while we were still sinners. The scripture says, while the son was still a far way off, while he was still in the distance, while he was still a long way away from the household, you got to think as he's walking back, he's trying to, to throw off some mud. He's trying to maybe found some water in a puddle, and he's trying to wash himself the best he possibly can. But you know he's got a reek. He's got a stink. He's got all of this sin and stuff on his shoulders. He's probably diverting his eyes down, thinking that he's going to come back, and his father's going to give him a tongue lashing. And you work in the stables until you can pay off your debt to me. Don't you dare come to our dinner table until you've cleaned off and got yourself right. Who do you think you are coming back here? You know, all those thoughts have got to be in the mind of this prodigal son as he's walking the long way back to his house. But while he was still a long way off, who would run after him other than the father? And see how this illustrates so beautifully what Paul is writing in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, Christ died for us. At the proper time, Christ died for us. At the right time, as that prodigal son is walking his way back home, even though he is filthy and muddy and nasty, even though there is shame and guilt on his shoulders, even though he does not deserve to be there, what does the father do? 
but open his arms wide. Not to begin picking dirt off of him to say, son, you're nasty, you're filthy. What are you doing here? How could you come back? But to simply embrace the son and say, welcome home. Friends, if we don't see Romans 5, 8, but God shows and demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, and can I tell you, 35 years of my life, that is still a hard thing to comprehend. It is still a hard thing for me to rectify in my own soul that this is the depth of God's love, that I don't have to clean up. I don't have to wash myself clean. I don't have to say, God, I'm finally worthy for you to love me. God, I finally cleaned myself up well enough for you to finally like me and love me. No, my sin has been washed as white as snow, and then that, therefore, compels me to live in holiness and to live in purity. Friends, this is so rich. The greatest demonstration of his love, not based on how lovable we are or how clean we are, but based on his great love for us. It's the measurement. Not that you were clean and nice and pretty and wonderful, and so he loved you because you were so perfect and pure. He loved you even though you were still a sinner. If you go back to the beginning of Romans 5.1, that led us to this place. The Bible says in Romans 5.1 that we have peace with God through Jesus, that that is the ultimate goal of Jesus' calling, that we would have peace with God because of his sacrifice on the cross. So friends, with everything that we are, we cling to and hold on to this cross. As we walk through valleys, as we walk through mountaintops, we continue holding on to the cross. And maybe this morning you would simply say, Mark, I I know all this. We've been through this. I've I've heard this sermon 30 times. I bought the t-shirt. I got it. I, I know it. I believe it. But I got to tell you, there's not a day that goes by that we don't continue to preach the gospel first and foremost to our own hearts. We need to be reminded of daily, stay close to the cross, cling to the cross, that you saved me as a sinner and now I glorify you with my life and my all. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what this day represents, that you have saved us from the pit of hell. We thank you, Lord, that on this Romans road that we're reminded that you demonstrate and show your love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were yet weak, you died for us. Lord, in my sanctified imagination, I can see the prodigal son, eyes downward, feeling the full weight of his sin on his shoulders, believing that he had no place in his father's house. Lord, with how good it would see to see that father running to that prodigal, embracing and welcoming him home. I know there may be some in this room who have believed that lie of the enemy, who would say that there is no place for you here, that there's no place at the foot of the cross for you, that your sin debt is too great that you have outsinned the cross of Christ and that he cannot possibly care for you any longer. And Lord, when we feel that, I pray our eyes would be fixated upon the cross, that we would cling to and we would, sep- we would near ourselves to the cross moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that we have a tangible expression 
a fact, a moment in history that we can point to to show our God loved us that much. That he came and dwelled among us and he died in our place to take the wages that we could not pay and to give us eternal life that we could not afford. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.